Welcome back to another episode of the Tremors from the Heart podcast. I'm Avi Hedmark, and I will be talking about Lord Shiva and his connection to Sankarshan, or at least the similarities between Lord Shiva and Sankarshan, who is originally Balaram. And why it's important for yogis and meditators to understand Shiva Tattva and Sankarshan Tattva. So first we we have to look at how, according to Pancharatra, how creation comes into being, how manifest the manifest world comes into being from the transcendental being the complete sum total bursting forth into unlimited universes and so there's a process that is de- delineated in all yoga texts and depending on the school that that you follow it might have different um, illustration but essentially it will be saying the same thing so, for Pancharatra, it all starts with Paravasudev, or the Supreme Vasudev, the Supreme Being of Light, we call Vishnu, or Narayan. It's even slightly more, more transcendent, or more uh, higher than Narayan. <laughs> Paravasudeva is, is, is a very, very complex conception. It's hard to put into words. So we'll leave it at the non-conceptual supreme being. And then from him, he, he manifests Vasudeva. And from Vasudeva, who is the Shuddha manifest Sankarshan who from Sankarshan manifests Pradumna and from Pradumna manifests Aniruddha and then Sankarshan actually makes another set of these are called the Chaturvyuha expansions and if I can try to explain this in a way that makes a little bit of sense it's basically from Krishna who is this supreme, all-encompassing personality. He exists only in the supreme realm of Braja. He never leaves. 
But in order for him to facilitate the expanse, the great expanse of both all the varieties of spiritual realms and all varieties of material realms, he undergoes a process of what is called Shakti Parinamavad. So the Shaktis, his energies, transform into other things by interaction with each other. So the first expansion from Krishna is Balaram. This is the Prakash. Self-same expansion. Only difference is now we have the white. So Krishna is black and Balaram is white. So in that, those two, we have the supreme black and white, the supreme polar opposites, the supreme truth, like yin and yang, the black and the white. And... They're the two prime truths. It's like life and death. The prime truths. They're just undeniable truths. And then when Sankarshan, he's the one who glances at materiality. He impregnates that Mayak womb with divine halo from himself called Shambhu. This glance causes Mula Prakriti or the Mahat to burst forth into existence and he enters in that that glance enters into that womb and becomes Pradumna who resides over the now, the Karana Ocean, which is this great ocean at the bottom of all existence, from which all universes are pouring forth from this form of Mahavishnu, who is also known as Pradumna. And that same Pradumna is breathing in and out, and in his breath, every time he's exhaling, unlimited universes are emanating. And he's then entering in something called Yoga Nidra and he's dreaming into those universes. As the presiding Mahavishnu or the Paramatma of each individual universe. and entering into the hearts of all beings there. So the Paramatma of the individual soul is Aniruddha. The Supreme Soul for the individual is Aniruddha. The Supreme Soul for an individual universe is Pradumna. And the Supreme Soul for all universes is Sankarshan. When we look at this through the perspective of the transcendental coming down to the gross level, we have this conception in Pancharatra of the five elements. 
sky coming down to earth. And so sky being all pervasive and empty, we equate that with Krishna. In the Chattavyuha, the each of the Chattavyuha is corresponding to the original and most intrinsic characteristics of, of experience of reality. So Krishna Krishna means Krishna's black. Krishna means black, Krishna means all attractive, Krishna means uh, pulling into himself. It's like the in, in astronomy we have the concept concept of a black hole. So Krishna is pulling everything into himself. So this is the considered the element of ether, sky. And then that space begins to move and that air element within space is moving and that is Vasudev. And then that movement is causing friction and it creates fire and that is Sankarshan. And that air and fire are interacting and creating moisture and that water element is Pradumna and then that water element is settling down solidifying and coming to earth and that is Aniruddha when you correspond them to the four states of consciousness then five actually in Pancharatra, we have five states of consciousness. Is Turyatita. That's the beyond the transcendental state. It's beyond transcendent. It's transcending the transcendent. That is Krishna. Then the transcendental state, that's Vasudev, Shuddha Sattva. Then the deep sleep state, that's Sankarshan. Then the dreaming state, that is presided over by Pradumna. And then wakefulness, the Jagat that is gross manifest reality that is presided over by Aniruddha. Then all Pancharatras teach basically practices designed to acquaint and perfect within ourself these five phases of existence so that we can navigate back to Krishna. In the practices of the of Aniruddha, basically, the, the the goal is to make the behavior and physical physical world clean, pure, balanced, balancing the the good and bad of behavior and action through various types of ritual, various types of um, actions. That's called kriya. So pujas and homas and stuff are usually listed in Pancharatras called they call it kriya, means action. Then Pradumna he presides over the water element, which is presiding over emotion, feeling, um, and the the creative impetus. 
And that is what all the yoga sastras are for, to help a person become fixed in brahmacharya, to, to sublimate that, that generally downward-flowing energetic disposition, which manifests as our particular sexuality. And so the yoga sastras were given to help a person become urdvaretas, turning this inward and sending everything up, back to the source, cycling. And in fire, the burning away of karmas, the burning away of conceptions, the burning, the burning away, this heat, this was given in all the Pancharachas, they gave jnana, jnana, um, the jnanapadas or the sections on jnana yoga which help a person re-identify with their true being. So Sankarshan, we're, we're going to stay here now that hopefully the context is given in a, in a clear way. It's kind of complicated, but hopefully I was able to explain that in a way that people could understand. Sankarshan is the presiding deity of Ahankara. And he is considered the tamasic energy of Narayan, which, he, which is why he presides over deep sleep, which is why he wears blue. And when we look at his various incarnations, we always see that he's instructing, that he is chastising, that he is humbling, that he is merciful and kind at the same time. Now from, from symbology, we learn to see that there, and language, we learn to see that there is a very big similarity between Sankarshan and Shiva Tattva. There's a similarity in their name, where Shiva also has the name Shankara. It's a common name we hear, Shankara. And that is similar to Sankarshana. Sankarshana. It means the cause of everything. He's also responsible for the dilution of the jivas as well as the liberation of the jivas. Because like we know when we go to deep sleep what happens, we forget everything. So, it's very important to learn to have a particularly developed relationship with Lord Sankarshan. Because he will teach you how to let everything go, yet remain completely awake and aware 
and absorbed in Krishna. Sankarshan manifests Lord Shiva. Lord Shiva is considered an amsa of Sankarshan, a portion of Sankarshan. And it is from Lord Shiva that all the sastras, all the, all the, one of my favorite Pancharachas, the Ahir Budnya Samhita, that is spoken by Lord Shiva in the form of a, in a form named Ahir Budnya. So Lord Shiva is extraordinarily merciful and easy to please. And all those beings who are generally considered worthless, lowly, dirty, impure, they are able to find shelter in Lord Shiva because Lord Shiva does not see difference. He, does, he sees a Brahmana and a ghost the same. He doesn't consider our good and bad qualities and he helps us attain our goals. And because Lord Shiva is, is particularly considered such a great Vaishnava that when you approach Lord Shiva to attain prema for Krishna, he's so willing to assist. He will help you approach Sankarshan. He will help you gain admittance to the audience of Sankarshan who will eradicate all of your false ego and wash away all of your sins and all of your good karmas because we don't want any of them. We don't want any connection. In order to go back home, back to Godhead, we have to become free of all good and bad karmas and all materialistic sense of I, mine, I, me, and mine in relation to body, in relation to bodily relations, in relation to hopes and dreams connected to that body. And when you go to this level, when you approach Sankarshan, you might find that it is terrifying and much like dying because ultimately what we're really talking about here when we talk about Sankarshan and we talk about Shiva we're talking about Guru we're talking about the primeval Guru who instructs and rescues the jivas who are wandering through samsara 
by their expansion and by their teaching. The reason Guru and death are connected is because Guru is the one who helps you slay your own ego, your own sense of identity, separate from the whole. The Abhiman or the identification as a particular storyline and identity. And in order to see the truth, you have got to be willing to let that go. What happens when you let that go is that the true self shines forth. And then you experience the bliss of your own self. You revel in the freedom of your own self. And you move about now in Shuddha Sattva. Now you've attained Vasudev. Now you're outside of material conception. Now you are free. Now you are free to choose what to do. And you can fall back down if you choose. You can forget again if you choose. But from there, in Shuddha Sattva, the one who has some attachment, some prema to remember Krishna, despite having what you could consider unlimited, unlimited capacity, still surrender to Krishna, still submit to Krishna, because Krishna is the self beyond yourself at all times, because he's always surpassing himself, he's always expanding, He's always above. He's always transcending. And he's leaving a trail, like it's like a trail consisting of all his part and parcels who continuously attain union with him and separation from him and are in constant relation with him. But you cannot get to that place where you can understand Krishna, where you can be in relationship with Krishna, where you can be interacting with Krishna, 
until you pass through the the great Brahmajyoti. All you hear devotees are very afraid of this Brahmajyoti because in the Brahmajyoti there is the potential that we can forget Krishna because this conception of oneness is blinding, completely blinding. But those who have the qualification and the particular service mentality that is the very being of Sankarshan and Balaram and Sadashiva, then you're easily, he will come and pull you through. We saw in the story of Gopakumar in the Brihad Bhagavatam Rita written by Sanatan Goswami in the 16th century, he wrote a story about the voyage, the spiritual voyage of a young boy named Gopakumar who was born in the village of Vrindavan and was given a mantra by a guru who vanished and he never saw him again. He just simply said, whatever you desire, if you chant this mantra, you'll get it. So there's a story of him traversing by the power of that mantra all the way through the seven upper regions of material existence and then passing through this great vast expanse of blinding spiritual effulgence. That spiritual effulgence is actually embodied as Shiva. Sadashiva. And Sadashiva is always meditating on and worshipping Sankarshan. Sankarshan is also uh, uh, the... From Sankarshan also we have Adi Sesha and we have... Um, Ananta Sesha. Ananta Sesha is interesting because Ananta means infinite and Sesha remain, means remainder. So the infinite and the remainder. Once you calculate the infinite, what's left? <laughs> this is a paradox of Ananta Sesha. But that is the bed on which Mahavishnu, or the great all expansive consciousness, this Brahma Jyoti, personified is resting <sighs> these are illustrations you have to understand that these are illustrations they have they are also because they're personifications we as Vaishnavs keep the mentality of their personal attribute and their personal revelation but they are also very deeply symbolic and they should be understood in context to your own being just as much as you should contextualize them as being the universe. You have to understand the conception of whatever is above, so is below. Whatever is in the universe is also in you and you have to learn how to see all that within yourself. Because right now, most people they're existing in the lower three, the lower two realms and experiencing anger, frustration, insecurity, fear, lust, envy, all these limiting negative experiences that they go through life feeling dissatisfied. 
feeling hateful. And it's simply because of where you put your attention. If you, if you, if you change where you're putting your attention, then you can easily allow those things to be liberated. You can pull those things up into offering by offering our negative and positive to Sankarshan, to Paramatma. They become liberated. They become pacified. They become, they transform actually. So you, every day, no matter what you're doing, if you offer it, you offer everything. You do everything as an offering. These things become liberated. These things become pacified. And you become peaceful. If you become peaceful, then it's very easy. It's very easy to live in the world. It's very easy to perform devotional service. It's very easy to interact with others properly. It's very easy to be a genuine good human being. You have to figure out how to become peaceful. So many people in today's day and age, they are stirring in the illusions of the conceptions of the body, of race, of gender, of creed, of religion, of political ideology. They are stirring their consciousness through that and they are feeling constantly victimized, constantly attacked, constantly in fear, constantly offended. They are putting their ego into these things. They are sending out their self-identity into the lower spheres. They will never find peace. They will never provide anything better for the world that way. It is impossible. As devotees, sometimes we see devotees are getting into these kinds of conversations about politics, about gender identity, about feminism, about all these different things. And they think that by having these dialogues and focusing their attention on these things, that they will create a better world. That they'll help. That they will, they will somehow mitigate the problems of oppressed they are themselves oppressing themselves. Everybody on some level is oppressing themselves until the time in which they are able to let go of that habitual addiction to victimhood, to pain actually, it's an addiction to pain. It's an addiction to suffering because it, pain and suffering are merely the mirror reflections of pleasure. They're the same thing on the pole opposite. Pain and pleasure are the same thing. It's in the middle. You find balance in the middle. So these yogas, these, the, the Bhagavatam teaches these things. The Pancharachas teach these things. The, the Aghamas of the Shaivas, the Shaktas, and the Bhautas, and the, even the Jains, even the Taoists, they taught the same things 
finding balance within yourself. They had different ways of illustrating. They had different ways of describing. They had different ways of deifying. But you get caught in religion where you start making sectarian claims about the absolute nature of your particular religion. You're no better than anybody else. You're, you're, you're no different. You start parading about. You forget the purpose of the knowledge was to free yourself. It's not for it's not for judging. It's not for abusing. It's not for converting. It's for liberating yourself. And if anybody else around you sees that they feel that the way you're living is more effective than the way they're living, it's your duty to then begin to teach that, how to do that. So what our acharyas all did, all the yogis and mahasiddhas, that's what they all did. They realized these truths and then they, they found that people wanted to understand too. So they taught. But it's never to be used as a way of controlling others. It's never to be used as a way of putting others down. It's not to be used in a way where we establish who is better than who. Sankarshan, <laughs> Balaram doesn't consider these things. And the most magnanimous and most amazing form of Lord Balaram, Lord Sankarshan, is Nityananda Ram. He's my favorite, favorite personality in all the sastras and all the stories of our traditions is Lord Nityananda. He would preach to the Chandalas, to the Malechas, to the Yavanas, what I'm trying to say, he was teaching people who are basically for most civilized Vedic culture people, untouchable. They wouldn't go near them, let alone eat with them, let alone make merry with them. And Nityananda didn't, Lord Nityananda didn't care at all. He saw that everybody was worthy. Everybody could get this knowledge and free themselves. Everybody could attain Krishna. Everybody. And that's the, that's the, whole, that's the whole thing behind the, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, the teachings of Lord Nityananda and Advaita Charya. Is it cuts down all the boundaries. It cuts down all the all the bullshit that is propped up through religious ideology. It gives us methods, practical methods, that we can use to free ourselves, and then live a life in harmony with the knowledge, with the perception and realization that we get from realizing ourselves. When you realize yourself, you don't just realize you, you realize yourself in the way the whole existence, you realize your part in existence, you realize, you realize the complete fabric, the matrix of both spiritual and mundane realities, you realize those things and you realize how to navigate those things. You realize your relationship with Krishna and why that's so sweet, so special, so amazing. So, Vaishnavs who do not recognize Lord Shiva are considered to be quite offensive, actually, quite misguided. 
Similarly, Shaivas who don't recognize Vishnu and Krishna, the same. And Guru, Guru is the one who reveals our connection to these personalities within ourselves and facilitates our freedom. There are many people who have been practicing for a long time who are still fear-ridden, who are still tight, uptight, mean even. To so those, those people who are feel, still feeling so fearful in life despite having practiced, whether your fear is about being offensive, disappointing your guru, not living up to some ideal, failing in so many different ways. I want to say something. I want you to try to understand that guru is meant to show you your limitations. In other words, a guru who makes you feel like you're so good and so upstanding and so amazing is probably not guru because a guru who's really guru will always show you your limitations and by his mere presence will cause you to feel quite small and quite limited and then, he will show you the beauty of limitation for the unlimited. And so you will have both things, a sense of being unlimited and a sense of being limited. Because that is the reality of existence. Existence is both Ananta and Sesha. This is the darshan of Guru, the black and white of truth, of life and death. I hope some of this ramble made some sense. I'll end it there. These are topics very dear to my heart. I hope someone out there appreciates them. But uh, for now, until next time, Jai Nitai, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya.